In this episode of Common Sense Amia, we'll be talking to a baller serial entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of Tokativity, a global community of active cannabis users and entrepreneurs that believe in cannabis normalization, equity empowerment of a modern consumption culture. In addition to Tokativity, our guest today is the founder of digital marketing agency, LI, handling everything from web- websites to NFTs. What the hell are they, Lisa? You'll tell me in this episode of Common Sense Amia. And if that wasn't enough, she's also the CTO of Ask Johnny, a digital bud tender app utilizing AI that's going to destroy us all. With over 25 years experience in digital marketing and strategy, today's guest has curated hundreds and hundreds of educational and socially empowering cannabis-focused events. You go, girl. Uh, She's been featured in Rolling Stone, Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Condé Nast Traveler, probably on her mom's fridge, maybe the local paper, who knows where else. How does she find the time? We will find out. Lisa Snyder, welcome to Common Sense Amia. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. How I how could I resist? I, I <laughs> it, it was something we we locked eyes across the room in Vegas, and I said, "There's something about her." And sure enough, there's lots of things about you, and I can't wait to get into all of them. So I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let's start with something we have in common, which is we both went to college in upstate New York. Uh, oh yeah. So I have kind of two questions. One is, what were we thinking? Those winters were brutal. Uh, and I'm when I say upstate New York, I'm basically talking low low state Canada. Um, right. Secondly, is Stewart's a better gas station or ice cream shop? Your thoughts? I'm starting with Stewart's because this was one of my dad's favorite places um, when he was alive. But I would absolutely say ice cream shop, specifically root beer floats. You've passed the test. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and as far as upstate New York, I'm curious, where did you go? I went to a college, maybe two hours north of where you went to college uh, at a school called St. Lawrence University. Okay. St. Lawrence University. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Canton, well, New York. It's like up by Potsdam. It's way the hell up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I went to Syracuse. I went to Ithaca College first, my first year, and then my second, third, and fourth and a half years. <laughs> I went to Syracuse University. What was I thinking? Well, I was thinking, hey, I love web design, and I'd like to figure out how to have a beginning, middle, and end to creative projects. So I'm going to go to art school. And since I'm from the East Coast already, I was used to snow, but that was some major snow. It was like snowing October to April, sometimes yeah. May. And you just get used to walking kind of literally one foot in front of the other as someone has carved out a path on the way to school. Um, (laughs) And somehow I like live to tell the tale of like sliding down many a hill in my car um, Mm -hmm. and not crashing. So, yeah, lots of hills in that area. Also, for sure, lots of ice, lots of maybe drunk people, drunk students to walk around in the snow. That's for sure was my experience at St. Lawrence. Um, I'm I'm curious though, and this isn't on my outline or anything, but you brought it up. You knew you were, you went to Ithaca and you knew that you wanted to get into marketing, like after your freshman year. Is that, is I that true? I didn't know the internet was marketing. I was yeah, yeah. just um, so I my first website I built on AOL pages in 1994, 1995. Mm-hmm. And I had been maintaining it, having a fun time, going to concerts, reviewing them. People found me on the internet. And I was like, I kind of love this. Um, 
And I decided to volunteer for um, Ithaca College's radio. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I think I might want to be a music producer. So I, I volunteered for the radio. They needed a website. And I was like, I don't really know how to get this image from my computer, like onto the internet so other people can see it, but I'm going to teach myself. So I sat in my dorm room and I taught myself how to like upload images and how to just make stuff move. And I made their like first website um, for Ithaca College's radio. And as I was sitting there, I was like, I, I, I don't want to do this for free, but I like doing this enough. I felt like aligned again. I didn't know it was marketing. I just felt like the internet's not going anyway, anytime soon. And I think I could build a career in, um, the internet. So that's crazy on on AOL, no no less. That's where I started originally. Yep. And I was just talking to Miss Kindness. It's just like our mutual connection here. She says, hi. And, um, I was telling her about that, you know, about how (laughs) I would, <laughs> we'll link um, her episode in the description below. She's great. Yes, she's amazing, amazing powerhouse of a woman. Um, but anyway, so I was just telling her about that's how I really started, you know, because I had the internet really early on. My dad worked for CBS television, so we always had like the latest technology in our house. And so yeah. I definitely started experimenting super early. But um, yeah, I didn't know where it would lead me. I just knew that it would lead me to money. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's cool that you had that foresight. I, I remember making, I, I made, you know, it was a little later um, than AOL. It was maybe iWeb or whatever that uh, application that came with, you know, one of the early MacBook Pros. I remember like in that. The early 2000s or something like that. Like I'd make, I'd made a website for my dad's law firm or, or one, you know, one of his businesses or, um, you know, someone I met at work, you know, stuff like that, just small little websites. And, and I didn't understand, you know, it was so at that time it was all, you know, Apple was all drag and it's still that way, but it was all drag and drop. And it was like kind of simple. Uh, it published weird. Um, but the, it was, it was, I wasn't coding anything. Right. It was, it was right. just like, Oh, this is, this is like pretty awesome. You know, I can, <laughs> I think I see, I think I see what's happening. You know, obviously the, the, the dawn of the internet happened in our lifetimes. So like seeing that evolution from, for me, it was like, and I, we had, we had a modem at my house in the eighties. So like when I was a little kid, my, you know, my dad, uh, he was just obsessed with technology, but we had this like old, like DOS computer. And we had one of those modems, like the cradle modems that you'd put your telephone, your landline uh, on top of, uh, and it would you know, it do, do all the it would do all the things it would like, you know, it was like a modem sounding thing, but it would go through your telephone line, like actually through the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my brother. That's so crazy. Yeah. This, I mean, this must've been like 1985 or six or something like that. Cause my brother and I, my older brother and I would uh, make prank phone calls. We'd like call the school or whatever. And, you know, at this time, no one knew what that noise was, you know, like the whistling and the, you know, kids, YouTube, uh, you know, old modem sounds. And you'll hear what I'm sounding like. It's it's uh, it's awful and high pitched and whistles and cracks. It's kind it's of also like music to my ears, though, because it feels like, nostalgia. you know, the, the before times. It's definitely nostalgic, yeah, yeah. like getting yeah. onto AOL wasn't in the 80s, but it was in the 90s. And you'd let your modem kind of do its thing. And it would probably take yeah. two to three minutes, sometimes more to make all those sounds. And then you would, I would go leave and I'd come back and then I would just wait for that. You've got mail, you know, You've got mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, that guy who did that voice, um, uh-huh. he is like an Uber driver. 
he, I saw him a video of him. I think I saw that TikTok or something. Yeah. Somewhere. I don't know where, but I was like, wow, you know, they are real people. Siri is a real person, you know? Siri is a real person. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's totally, that's, that's cool that you were, you know, you kind of had that foresight or knew yourself well enough to be like, there's, I don't know what it is. There's some opportunity here. I'm going to figure it out and I'm definitely going to get paid for it. Uh, I feel like that's kind of your story throughout, you know, as I've been researching you, like that's your story. And it's funny to hear, like, that's how you were like as a kid too. Exactly. I think it's really fun to experiment with life. And if you're, you know, open to playing around with something, whether it's a technology or whatever, you know, in this case, we're ta- that's what we're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm down. Like, let's see how this goes. Let's see how far we can go. Let's see how, what's exciting about it and what's, hard about it or whatever. And so, um, you know, uh, it's definitely helped me with the building blocks of my career. Does, do you get doubly excited about that and now cannabis? Like, because I do, you know, I'm like, these are all things I'd probably be doing anyway, professionally and add to it, like this whole industry exploding thing and, you know, riding that wave, you know what I mean? (laughs) Do you, do you doubly feel that? I absolutely do. Cause I feel like cannabis is like this it's a plant right and it's like natural wait wait hold on what (laughs) yeah did you know that start over (laughs) where do babies come from (laughs) no i'm just kidding tell me about (laughs) cannabis (laughs) um but technology is like it feels so opposite so to to pair these two is a really unique opportunity and a really unique um situations to educate people to communicate with people, to get them actually connected to the right things for them, whether it's communities or strains or what have you, you know, like locations for places to buy. So we, it's just a really good time to make that bridge, you know, which is what you're doing, which yeah. is what I'm doing too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, doubly exciting. It's fun. It's fun yeah. to, you know, what the, what they say, and I don't know who they are, but they definitely say it about, you know, not working a day in your life if you love what you do. Um, that's mostly true. I mean, if you're, you know, until you have employees and people who rely on you, but it's mostly fun, you know, you're not working a day in your life. And then now <laughs> I mean, to it, you're, you're helping people sell weed. Yes. I mean, or smoke it. Or smoke it. Yeah. Can we yeah. talk about one more nostalgic thing? Yeah, let's do it. TRL. How Total did request you... live. Yeah, Total Request Live with Carson Daly. How did you get there? How did you land that gig? I can remember, like, I must have applied to MTV for every friggin' job that they, you know, from CEO of Viacom all the way down to janitor, like what, whatever, like I would apply to every job. I think maybe I got one interview there. I'm trying to think. I think I got one interview there, uh, which was surprising. Um, tell me about that experience. You worked for MTV. I mean, I interned there just to Let's clarify. not, you, you worked was there. working there for free. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I got $75 a week. That was my food. Across the street from the M&M store. I was. I never went in there, though. Well, well, you're a good human. That's why. (laughs) So, I mean, I was super lucky. 
I was super lucky because I mean, my dad had been working for CBS since like the early eighties. So he had built a lot of relationships and I'm so, I have so much gratitude for like, even my accessibility to technology and like being a white woman with a white dad who like, I'm upon reflection, like looking about the privileges that he had as a white person, you know, he's Jewish. He was a Jewish person and that had a whole different thing, but it's like from the, from face value, like there was a lot of opportunity there, you know, and he's a very, he was a very smart person. So anyway, and people loved him. So like he, um, when it was time for me to get an internship in college, you know, cause that was like a, re- a requirement. I was like, can I get an internship at MTV? Like, and he was like, well, I'll, I'll connect you with the person you got to get it yourself. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a, here you go thing, sure. you know what I mean? So, um, luckily I had built a website portfolio in school. Cause like, otherwise if I didn't do that, I would have nothing to show. I wouldn't even know that they'd even want to see anything like that. So again, this is just all, it was all new to me. So I got an interview, um, <clears throat> with the, um, this is for like the website. So it was like mtv.com. And, mm-hmm. um, Got an interview there. I showed them my website. They loved it. I was, it was all in flash and it was all like music and like moving stuff around and stuff. And then I bonded with the guy about Radiohead because I loved Radiohead at the time and he loved Radiohead. So it was like, Ooh, okay. Who doesn't love Radiohead? <laughs> I mean, some people don't, but I did. I went to so many of those. Are, those are the people shopping at the M&M store, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I got that gig and it was a summertime gig and I lived on the Lower East Side with my friend Dan and um I had such a cool time cuz I worked on multiple shows mostly I was like color correcting images and I was getting mm-hmm. the scans from the MTV Beach House and like those little like the celebrity things I'd have to crop them and get them ready for the website and it was so so fun. Um I also <laughs> When there was a, a, a contest, <laughs> Beach House, that's awesome. Was oh yeah, no, I mean, I don't even know if it still exists, but um, no, of course not. No, definitely not. I don't even think MTV exists. Maybe it does. <laughs> I remember going downstairs in front of the Viacom MTV building, and um, you know, because CBS is owned by Viacom and right. MTV. For those who yep. don't know, I mean, that's why right. there's like, all these connections back there. But anyway, um, they were like, Lisa, can you go get the webcam from? the mtv beach house like we either had to give it to them or get it i can't remember yeah. which one it was but i went down and i was like oh my god this is so is it cool. like the jersey shore or something they didn't have it yet jersey shore didn't exist yet no i mean where was the beach house where were oh, you going yeah no it was at the jersey shore i don't yeah, remember yeah. if it was at seaside or like what but it right. was one, like one that was where they were. yeah so i love that gig so much and i kind of messed it up because i was like young and like i mean i wouldn't say messed it up really badly but like i was um I was going through a breakup at the time <clears throat> and I was just not a hundred percent present. I was like, you know, just dealing with my own things. I was doing time codes, you know, and I was doing my work, but then I would also be like on AOL, um, instant chat, you know, aim and like trying to deal with my like relationship thing. And I just feel yeah. like, Oh my gosh, like if I, if I could erase one part of that experience, I would have totally done something different there because I think I, would have built amazing other relationships probably would have gone on to work further with them but you know my path is my path so yeah anyway, definitely well that's awesome can you talk to me a little bit about how you think so i also worked for a huge company uh, i was you know when i was living in new york uh working for apple i met my wife she was working for fox like we were working for these you know building you know buildings huge downtown buildings right uh full of people can you, and those experiences definitely 
you know, they obviously shape you. Um, but in reflecting back on my experience in the city, working for the biggest company, um, it definitely has impacted kind of my trajectory into what I'm doing now. You know, I definitely take best practices that I learned from Apple. Um, there's definitely kind of, uh, elements of, of experience brand, you know, brand experience that I for sure have taken from Apple. Um, you know, I drank, I drank that Kool-Aid, um, conversely, Kate, my wife, has taken nothing from Fox. Like she left it all there. You know, she's like, no, you, you're not coming with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also, you know, evolving into the next chapter. So I'm curious, kind of like, it sounds like you, you might've wanted to stay at Viacom. So I'm curious, like thinking back on it now, how do you think that your experience at MTV, your experience for this huge corporation, uh, Viacom, um, shaped you now? Well, um, I had like kind of like a backstage or like a a behind the scenes window into it before I was even involved because my dad worked for CBS. He would bring me into take your daughter to work day. And I would see like what on the TV, it looks like someone's living room, but it's really just like a box, you know, and like a studio and stuff like that. And um, so my short stint at MTV.com I felt honestly, energetically, like I didn't want, I think that's why I maybe self-sabotaged a little bit because I didn't want to work for a big company. I felt, it felt inauthentic to me, even though I saw like, Ooh, this could be cool career path. There was something mechanical about it. There was something like, wasn't quite what I wanted to align myself with, which is like, for me personally, like just like things that are true and things that are real and things that, you know, um, which is funny because it's like working on a show like the real world. <laughs> There's it's not a like, real thing about it. I mean, it was it was really happening. Um, sure. But like there was just something that maybe if I gave myself more time to like marinate in, I would have stayed. But I just knew inside my heart that I didn't want to work for a big company. Um, and so that actually shaping you know, if your question comes back to like, did it shape me? I mean, I think it did because I was like, I think life, a lot of it is about decision-making and is about what you, what you want and what you don't want. And I knew what I didn't want. So I was like, "Mm, not that, you know, and I just kept going on my, my path. Well, that's in a lot of ways more important than knowing what you do want. Right. Because at least, you know, who knows what they want, but if you at least know what you don't want or what your boundaries are as a person or whatever, um, yeah, that path becomes a little more narrow and easier to, to, to walk down. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, just in what you were saying and, and your story is a little bit different. Um, but the entrepreneur's journey, which is something, this is all we talk about on, on common sense and it's generally a pretty wild one. Um, with myself and a lot of people I've interviewed, the motivation for striking out on your own, um, Gary's right. It's, it's based on personal experience or, uh, characteristic, you know, characteristic traits, whatever. Uh, but it's generally the result of something life-changing, um, just some sort of experience that leads you to, to know you need to be self-sufficient. I feel like you've already articulated how you knew you were going to be self-sufficient from a pretty early age. Um, but you were, story is a little bit different and uh you had to kind of 
deal with some personal tragedy you know, in order to um, figure yourself out too. I was wondering, would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Um, I grew up in an only child household and I have a half brother, but we have like 13 year difference. And so um, I ha- I was independent by nature because I had to um, entertain myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I'm just starting back there because it is a mm-hmm. building block of like how I've actually come to be. My parents um, trusted me. I proved myself to be trustworthy. Although looking back in time, I don't like, I mean, I was a teenager. I did crazy shit, you know, sure. but like live to tell the tale. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so like, I've always been an independent person. And honestly, um, when my dad passed away in 2004, um, I, it was the day before my 23rd birthday. And we were just like, I was just getting to know him as an, as me as an adult, you know? Right. And so it's just in that in-between stage of this, of this life and really curious about what happens after we die. And so I just went on this journey of like reading so many stories about people who had near-death experiences and, you know, lived to tell the tale. And it really opened up my energy to like doing what I love. I want to do what I love. I don't want to die like Mm. thinking and wishing that I did something different. Mm -hmm. And so, um, in between, like right after my dad passed away, I actually took myself on a trip to Amsterdam and did some mushrooms and got some clarity mm-hmm. <laughs> about life as one do does. That. Yeah. And one of those clarity pieces was a very clear message of I need to work for myself. It was just like, boom, you got to do this. You got to leave. I had a, a job at a woman owned production company in Manhattan that made a training for Apple and Adobe. Mm-hmm. and I was just like, I know this is a job that I'm getting paid a paycheck. And I know that not getting paid a paycheck is a little scary, Yeah. (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And I I left that job with everyone clapping and being super supportive of of my journey. Um, Got immediately scared of not having a paycheck. And then I got a consulting job um, for building out a website for consulting magazine for like about eight months. It was like, okay, this is my like bridge here, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, with each stepping stone of like independence, you know, whether it was personal independence, having support of the independence from my parents of like traveling by myself or their trust or whatever, these were all building blocks to build my confidence to, feel like I can do anything. And I do think a lot of times you have to have a cheerleader, whether it's your parents or somebody else in your life who's like, you can do it. You need at least one person who's like clapping for you no matter where you go and what, no matter what you do. So I think for me, that was my parents up until, you know, their deaths. And my mom did die five years later. And I did see her, um, you know, reflecting on her life and seeing like what regrets she had. And this is one of the things that lots of people say when they die, it's like they, 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 they do, a lot of them do have regrets and a lot of them are the things that they didn't do yeah. or they didn't say. And I was just like, I'm not going to go like that. I'm going to go out like, yep. you know, with my head held high and like that I did my best. I showed up. I'm going to do what I love. I'm going to get clear about what's not working and I'm just going to keep going. And that has really fed me this whole time. 
it's incredibly sad, but incredibly beautiful at the same time. <clears throat> I'm sorry that that's the experience that you had to have to, to, um, help you develop, you know, that spirit, that confidence, like all of that, but you're, you're a better person for it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of times when something tragic happens in our lives, we're like, why, why did this happen? You know? And, and mm. I don't know for them and their journey, why it happened at that point in time. Cause my dad was only 54. My mom was 62, but, um, both of them, you know, <laughs> I was asking them like, what's the best thing that you ever, what, what are you most proud of in your life? You know? And, um, and I'm not a parent of any physical children, you know, and I don't know what that experience is like, but they both said that they were most proud of me and bringing me into this world and supporting me. And that, that kind of gave me this other thing, like, Oh God, like, uh, <laughs> that's what you're thinking. I mean, it's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what am I going to do with that? You know, yeah. like I better, that's your cheerleader. It. You know, those are, like you said, those are your cheerleaders. And even, you know, even in death, I'm sure, I'm sure you still, I mean, we're reflecting on it right now and I'm sure you reflect on it frequently about, you know, well, that's kind of my next question is so, so mortality, uh, again, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, mortality comes up, but it's, it's selfish mortality. It's, it's about me, 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 me. And this is, you know, this is about, this is about me right now. Like that was my perspective. It was, I had a similar feeling where, um, my paycheck stopped and how do I do this? How do I pay the rent? How do I make sure, you know, no one dies in the, you know, while I'm figuring this out. And also with that clarity came that first deal, like almost immediately, right. Similar, similar to what you experienced. Um, so that, that feeling of mortality is, it creates ambition. It creates drive for sure. So it was a different kind of mortality. It was actual mortality for you. It was actual death, um, for, for you. So I'm, it makes, I'm curious what, what you, what you, what do you think, you, you know, they're still cheering you on, you know, you, yeah. They still are for sure. And I'm curious if they were here, what, what would they, what, what do you think they'd think of how far you've come? Um, I mean, I do honestly, I continue the relationship like spiritually and it's absolutely not the same in the physical, but that's something that I've been working on over time is like trying Can you talk to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you don't have to get, you don't have to get too into it. I'm, I, I just, I'm curious about kind of the, that process for you. Yeah, I mean, it started with dreams um, mm -hmm. and trying to remember my dreams right after waking up. I think that's like a really cool ritual. If you if you yeah. do can and you can remember your dreams, you can write them down or you tell that to somebody or you do an audio recording or something. Dreams are really powerful because like they would show up and I can tell the difference between a dream and a um and a visit really, because they're actually different. A, a visit feels like normal everyday life. Um, a dream is like crazy, weird stuff is happening. It doesn't hundred percent make sense, you know? And I don't, I don't, I mean, this is just my interpretation of like, and I know different people have different experiences. So it started with dreams. And then, you know, I do use my intuition a lot with my day-to-day -day life and my work. And, um, I believe that it is as simple as like literally closing your eyes and asking specifically to that person who is no longer here, like, 
whatever question is, what should I do? What is the answer to this thing? Like a lot of that is, is how I tap into that connection. Um, and then sometimes weird coincidences will happen where it's just sure. too specific that it's just yeah. like, are you serious? Like, you know, um, I want to say, I, I, I mean, I have a couple of examples, but like, I have some, some really good, really interesting ones. Um, nothing off the top of my head right now, <laughs> but okay. like, I, I know what you mean where you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. You're like, that is too. Okay. I'll go, I guess I'll give you an example. I mean, has nothing to do with technology or anything like that. But the dog that I have now um, was found <laughs> in California on my birthday that looks almost similar. He's like a miniature version of bigger dogs that I've had. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, you know, okay, that could be a weird coincidence, but somehow we found each other because I live in Oregon. That dog was found in California. That dog made it up here. We happened to that day be like, let's go to the Humane Society. You know, like, yeah. let's, you know, they're just all these things we just decided to do because it felt right. Sure. You know what I mean? And that's how you know you're on the right path is because it feels yeah. good. You're like, yeah. oh, that, I don't know why, but I'm going to do that thing, you know, and like, you know, is it a coincidence I was found on my birthday that he looks like one of my old dogs? I mean, I don't think so, but you know, to each their own. <laughs> the weirdest thing is he was wearing your dad's watch. That was strange. <laughs> um, Sorry, I no, that's okay. Um, I like the I like this I like this idea of being compelled, you know, like let's go to the humane society today. You know, like that, that, you know, fate, the universe pushing you. Like, I think about that stuff all the time. Um, and I have experiences like that too, for sure. Um, and to me, that's like the opposite side of the fear coin, right? Like they're both as compelling of emotions. And if you listen to one, right, if, 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 and I'm, I'm using the word compelled i don't i'm not sure how to articulate that but if you wake up with a with a notion to do a thing and you're just like you know you're free flowing you're just going with it right like that can that always opens up doors and and leads you to experiences like finding this dog like like i I totally understand that or net you know meeting a new business contact or you know whatever and then fear fear can have the same or opposite uh, you know impact depending on what you do with it um and can i can i share something with you yeah yeah this is connected to the like um it's like where the visits and the like intuition and the messaging and stuff like that where i kind of next leveled my belief in this mm-hmm. i was um i had consumed some psilocybin which i don't do often it's just like it's usually a very conscious decision to do that but i d- consume con- some psilocybin and um I was going to go to sleep. And before I went to sleep, I had, I felt like my dad was coming to me because, and it wasn't a visual. It wasn't like, oh, that looks like my dad. It felt like a warm hug that I had not felt since he was there. Now here's the really important piece. He literally told me, you need to spend more time with your mom because she's not going to be here for very much longer, like verbatim. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. And so I went home and this is during your mushroom experience. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so I very much took that seriously. My mom was still alive and I had like a birthday party and I invited her to that birthday party. It was three weeks later. She left the birthday party, not feeling well. And 
that weekend she was diagnosed with leukemia and I was like yeah I was like oh my god like this was a visit this was information this was a download this was him telling me this means that he's you know changed form came back to tell me this information and then it was confirmed not too much longer after and um I've never had a a specific dream like that bright before, but I have had other information related dreams. Um, But that one for me was very significant because then when my mom was diagnosed, I had this like, oh my God, I want to be really hopeful. And I'm also scared that the information that I received is like the absolute truth. I mean, and it was. That's wild. That's not happened to me during a mushroom experience. <laughs> um, I think that we're all a little psychic. And it I, I agree with you there. I think that there is for sure, you know, I, I am definitely uh, a proponent of energy and, you know, the vibrations that energy, you know, puts out there. And I think that's kind of related to what you're, you know, that's just being conscious and and yeah. just paying paying attention the the real the real kind of skill is is what you do with that information because it's not, it's not like it's flowing to you 24/7 right it comes to you but you have to be paying attention to it and then you have to like have the recall to be like oh my god like why is this you know what is this deja vu <laughs> what is this thing i'm feeling um yeah and i think the more kind of evolve from it yeah the more connected we are to ourselves, the more we can receive that information or to discern it from like, is this a thought or is this like information? And that's like an ongoing experiment that I'm playing around with because um, I do think we all get a lot of information. In fact, like uh, I feel like the universe is constantly speaking to us and whether or not we want to listen, right? We have these like resounding yeses in our body. We have these like no feelings. There's like, amazing things that people are creating every day music is something that like all of a sudden someone's like oh i hear it in my head you know what i mean it's like it's it's the relationship with creative energy that if we tap into we can kind of have like just a better more enjoyable experience here on earth i i think we sometimes misinterpret that stuff too and that's that's kind of what i'm talking about with the fear thing like if if i listen to you know, we'll, we'll use, we'll use Eckhart Tolle terms. If I listen to my pain body, if I listen to that voice in my head, I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't be in this office. I wouldn't have started can of planners. I, you know, who knows where I'd be, but I wouldn't be doing anything. I wouldn't go to trade shows. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do, be doing any of this because my, my pain body, my, my voice is saying that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, you know, it's too much work. Like it's easier just to stay home and, you know, watch TV or, or whatever. Right. And if you listen to that voice because it's loud and it's like always there and it's fucking annoying you always like, it's easy to be like, Oh, like that's my brain telling me, but that's not, that's not your that's not your real brain telling you that your real brain lives down here. Right. So you have to like quiet that and listen to what this brain's saying. Um, mine's usually saying pizza, but you know, <laughs> if it's, if this is saying like, don't go to that networking event, you know, and this is like, but they have pizza, like go to that networking event and you're going to meet people and you're going to evolve as a human, or you're just going to stay at home and watch TV and, 
yeah. sad and not evolve at all. <laughs> yeah, and there's I, definitely like there's a feeling inside that comes from a, a different place than like the the mind or like the pain body or the the thoughts because we're not we are not our thoughts and we are not our emotions. We're like you know the human experiencing them and whether or not right. we, and being the watcher of those things. And um, the more we can tap into that whatever, you know, whoever you are out there, <laughs> um, you know, the more enjoyment and pleasure you're going to have in this life and the, the faster you're going to get to the places you want to be, because you're going to hear the messages and you're not going to focus on fear as the main thing. You're going to listen to your intuition. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. It was, it's definitely not a, it, you have to be conscious of it because, and anybody listening can, can understand this. Like think, just be conscious of yourself as you go through the day and think about why am I not doing or doing certain things? Is it because I'm acting out of complacency or is it because I'm acting out of, you know, fear or am, am, am I scared of a certain reaction? Am I projecting something out there dangerous? That's going to impact me. If I try to start a, a cannabis marketing agency, like is someone going to come get me and tell me how stupid I am? Maybe, but fuck them, <laughs> right? Everyone wants to judge other people. The people that judge other people, the the are the harshest are are really um, mm -hmm. afraid of. Those doing are the it most hurt. Themselves. Hurt people. Hurt people. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, let me ask you this, and if I'm being too blunt, I apologize. But like. So I don't, I don't imagine that you're have rid your, you're human, you're still living. So you have anxieties, you still have these fears, but being younger in your life, dealing with something like the deaths of both of your parents in such a small amount of time, like how, how much, how much closer to earth does that bring you in terms of kind of, of what we're talking about now? Can you rationalize some of the, like that fear? You're like, if, if, if you want to make a move and they're like, Oh, but you're my, my, you know, my parents or whatever, like, does that push you forward quicker? Because you're like, I just dealt with this crazy fucking thing. Like I'm, I can make this, I can make this move without fear. Um, For me, the worst thing that ever happened in my life, I mean, knock on wood, um, to this day has been losing them and being present for their transitions and, and them being like my main family, you know, I have family, but it's like, I don't have, I don't have like, people always like, Oh, do you have like a brother or sister? Like, yeah. You only I have, have one mom and one dad, right? Exactly. And yeah. so like, they are not here to judge me or decide what I'm doing is right and wrong. And I think huh. if they were here, I don't know. I mean, obviously my path is my path, but like, I don't know if I'd be working in cannabis. I don't That's know if I'd be as comfortable, you know, just kind of doing whatever the hell I want. <laughs> They're you still know, human. You you think they would, they'd probably be judging me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think they would be. I think they would be. I do That's think the realest shit I've ever heard. That's, I mean, you're probably, I mean, yeah, of course they would be. They're your parents. Yeah, I mean, but I think they'd be really proud. I think they are really proud coming back to like, if they were here, I'm like, and then they are actually there. They are proud. They help me all the time. Like they help me all the time. And, um, you know, and I need their help. 
I don't always, we don't always have all the answers, you know, and mm-hmm. especially when you're like pioneering a space like cannabis or doing things for the first time, we do not have all the answers. So I'm often like, what do you think I should do? You know? And I yeah. usually get some kind of feedback that feels like, well, you could try this, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Hmm, that's interesting. You know? And your mom's um, in the back saying, and it wouldn't kill you to make your bed every so often too. Actually, it's more about the hair. It's like, is my hair combed, you know, or whatever? Or do I quote unquote look a ra- look like a ragamuffin? That's what she used to call me. If I didn't comb my hair. That's hilarious. Yeah. Do we have the same mom? I don't know. <laughs> no. Is her name Joanne? No, it's not, but they might have gone to the same school of mothering. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's take it to um actually starting your own businesses. So at what point, so you're at Viacom, you know, you're not going to go back. You're working for this, you know, all, all female marketing agency, production company, whatever. When's the opportunity where you're like, I got this. Um, well, I came back from Amsterdam after getting that information about like, Ooh, you can, you, you should get it on your own. And, but I was like, I didn't know when like the it was like jump rope, you know, like when do I jump out of this? And there thing? was a question what that meant, right? Like going out on your own, you knew that meant I'm going to be doing marketing or video, yeah. or whatever it is I'm doing. I'm just going to do it for myself. I'm going to do it. And so I actually, I forgot about this. Um, I went to this um, thing. I think it still exists. It's called acting success. Now I wasn't trying to be an actor, but there was a, an artist friend of mine inviting me to go to this. And it's basically like a lot of this, like Eckert totally get out of your own way. A lot of actors, they need to like work on themselves in order to feel comfortable, like being super vulnerable in front of people. And so I was like, um, I noticed in the room, I was like, I wonder how many people, how many actors have websites. So I asked the, um, the, the people who are running the workshop, I said, can I get up there and just ask everybody like who has a website or who doesn't have a web, actually who doesn't have a website. And they said, sure. Bef- the night before I like whipped up my website, like very quickly. Cause I was like, I need something. And so I got up there and I said, how many people in here do not have a website? And like 80% of them were like, and I was like, come talk to me afterwards. And I was like, this is my entry point into actually being able to sustain my um, my web design business, because I know that I'm going to be able to make like these very similar, but personally different websites for actors. They're five pages. They have the same things and the same needs. So I can just, I'm going to do this. And that's actually how I kicked off LI design. That's amazing. So like your, your customer persona, you didn't have to kind of figure that out. They were right in front of you. They were. And, um, and, I and of that 80%, how many of them got a website from you? Um, I would say probably about like 20 or 30% of those people. That's awesome. A what a good, yeah. what a great place to start. <laughs> and then they told people, which was like how word of mouth got started. Cause it was like, someone was like, Oh, who did your website? And of course you probably get this too. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this person did it, you know? So then I would get a lot of gigs through that. Um, and I also got a lot of gigs through a, um, a health, uh, counselor school. So when they graduated, they would like recommend working with me. And that was really helpful too. That's, that's beautiful. That's how you grow your business in the beginning and not in the beginning, the entire time you grow your business by giving good customer service, being awesome at what you do and, you know, maybe getting a referral, but 
also asking for them. Um, they're out there. Everybody's got to do something and you can, you can help them do it. Another tip, just putting this out there for the entrepreneurs out there. After you're done making something or working with someone, always ask them for a recommendation on LinkedIn. I've racked up over 50 testimonials on LinkedIn. And then I just kind of send people to my LinkedIn. They can see what I've done. And then I can see how people felt like when they worked with me and you'll see the consistent messaging. And like, I think that's really helpful for um, a lot of us out there kind of doing our thing. Good tip. I don't do that. I will definitely start doing that. Um, so you're building these websites for these actors. It leads you to start your first digital agency, which still exists today. Um, talk to me about growing that. Like when were you, were you focused on actors for a while? Like did that pivot? Did you kind of pull in everybody? When did you figure out, you know, how to evolve your vertical? I did acting websites for a long time. I lived in and around New York city. So that was really easy to do. And of course I got all those referrals and then the health um, school. So I did one for one person who what'd I you met. Char- what'd you charge for an actor website? <laughs> the first one I ever did mm-hmm. um, in 2007, specifically for an actor, I undercharged was like 500 Of course. Bucks. But I was like, I'm going to make this so amazing that I'm going to get referrals. And it totally worked. There you go. Um, so I actually did that. Um, and I think only recently, like, has a lot of people, you know, a lot of new tools have come out since I started doing this work. So, like, there's Squarespace and there's, like, all these, like... Right. DIY tools or whatever. And so people are kind of going off in that direction. Um, and, and, and I, I support whatever they want to do that makes them feel good about their lives and work. Um, so I've just, I mean, along the way though, the, um, the recession in 2009 was actually like a really big pivot point because a lot of people lost their jobs Mm -hmm. and that was really hard for people. However, Mm -hmm. a lot of those people decided to live their dream and came to me to start their businesses. So that's actually next leveled for me as far as like business websites. This is a common uh, sort of side effect of recessions in this, you know, uh, we've talked, I talked about this before on this podcast, but you know, uh, companies like Harley Davidson were born out of the great depression, Facebook and Instagram came out of uh, the recession you're talking about. Um, And that was something that I banked on, happening, uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, it's about despite what's happening around you, it's, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is learning how to pivot and roll with the punches sometimes. And when the world shuts down or the world becomes poor overnight, or, uh, you know, everybody's homeless, you know, housed one day and unhoused the next, uh, like in 2008, um, you're right. Those, you know, and this goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is like this self-sufficient, you know, like a lot of people don't know they're entrepreneurs until they're faced with their own mortality and what better mortality, you know, facing is there than not getting a paycheck all of a sudden one day, or your, you know, your, 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 uh, your, your brokerage account is, is at zero or your house is now worth absolutely nothing. Um, any of those things. So, yeah, that was a for, for Canna planners. That's <clears throat> I actually. This sounds weird to say, but I credit the pandemic with 
fundamentally changing this company and turning it into a real company um, because that's exactly what happened. And everybody uh, wanted to start, luckily everybody wanted to start a, a CB, you know, in Vermont, at least where, where, where I am, like everybody was eager to start a CBD company at that time. And um, boy, was I happy to provide them with websites because I thought we were screwed. I thought, you know, this company's going to go under, but um, nope, that's the side effect of all recessions is people become entrepreneurial big time. Um, speaking of that, you're a serial entrepreneur. How the hell do you do that? I barely have time to eat. Uh, I've been wearing the same. I, I'm one of those people who, if you looked at my closet, it's 30 of this exact shirt. Um, I <laughs> don't have time to run the one company I have. How do you, and we haven't even talked about any of your companies yet, but how do you find time to do it all? Well, I don't have any kids and I don't want Same. any kids. So <laughs> we'll <Same>. start there. <laughs> I think that takes up a lot of people's time because yeah. they, you know, they need to take care of children. And so I don't have any plans. So my businesses are my children. Like Same. they are the things that I'm growing and doing and putting energy into. And, um, you know, I, I think also working from home this whole time, like, has really benefit and being able to work on the internet. Like I don't necessarily have to like be everywhere. I don't have to travel necessarily unless I want to, or unless I'm getting paid to speak or something like that. But like, I don't, I can be at my computer and, and have five or 15 or 50 tabs open on my computer. Right. How many <laughs> is it really Lisa? It's 60. I'll have to count for you because I have like <laughs> certain windows that are like this, totally. project, this project, this project, yeah. this project. You know what I mean? Luckily, astrology set me up for success because I am a Libra sun, Taurus moon, Virgo rising. So Virgo rising loves to organize and mm-hmm. likes things and lists and stuff. And she keeps me organized. And Lisa, the Libra, which is my mm-hmm. Instagram handle, if y'all want to follow me, um, <laughs> Lisa Libra, um, she likes to gather people. She likes like to create pleasurable experiences in life. So does the Taurus. So it's really been kind of like, honestly, the way that I am, plus my circumstances, plus my life choices equals how I do it all. Mm-hmm. Well, as a fellow Libra, you make me very proud. So I love Oh, serious. thank you. When's your birthday? So, the 12th of October. Okay. Mine's the 15th. Sorry. Why are you sorry? Because I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> uh can we let's talk about weed a little bit and tokativity so I'm, I'm curious where cannabis came into the scene for you and how um i bring this up often but in episode one of the first episodes i did was with uh one of my clients who's a, a local uh glass shop owner here in burlington vermont who said something to me at the time was just so to me seemed so profound but i've regurgitated it so many times that it's actually part of my being now, which is, he said, you you know, you don't, don't do what you love. You do what you're good at. And if you're lucky, you can incorporate what you love. Um, and I, I always thought that, thought that was such a profound way because everybody says, do what you love, you know, do what you love. But if everybody did what they love, we'd probably all be unemployed. Um, we're you and I are lucky because we're doing what we're good at and incorporating what we love. When did you, when did your love for cannabis come in and and how did you begin to incorporate it into your professional-ness? 
Well, when it's interesting, I don't know if there's like this moment in time when I started to like love cannabis. Like, I think that there's a lot of people have stories of like, they had like a physical issue. And then when they started consuming cannabis, they became, you know, they healed themselves and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I started consuming when I was 14, but I wasn't like this ongoing consumer. Mm -hmm. Um, Really until I came to Oregon, honestly, I'm from New Jersey and my wife and I moved here in 2013 and cannabis um, was something we, uh, adult use was something that we voted for in 2014. So I'd only been here for about a year and I couldn't, I was like, I can't believe I'm like voting for this. This is so cool to like fill in this bubble right now. And then it became, you know, law. I mean, they had to figure out the laws and stuff like that, but it opened up my creative energy to figure out like, how do I participate in this? I thought originally mm-hmm. like I was going to enter it, it like I did everything else, which was through websites, you know, and yeah. I'll be making websites for people and whatnot. So I started going to, um, well, I'll back up for a second. Cause I didn't go to networking events first. I was just like, I feel like I'm going to do something here. I don't really know what, right. Cause I was like, it's kind of similar to my dorm room story of like, I like doing this internet thing and I don't know where this is going to go. It was similar. It was like that similar messaging. So um, January 2015, I invited friends over for dinner and tokativity. I didn't really know, like, I just made up a word. I was like, I don't know, come over for dinner, toking, creativity, you know, like we made vision boards, which is now a tradition we do every single year. And while I was doing that, I was like getting stoned, creating things. I was like, I want other people to experience this. I really would love to do that. I don't know how, but I want that. And so as a web nerd, which has really helped me out in my creative, like entrepreneurial spirit is like, I got the domain name and I secured all the social media handles. I was like, don't know, parking it, putting it in the digital garage, you know? And then I started going to networking events um, and kind of getting a sense for like, you know, who should I talk to? Where should I go? You know what I mean? Just using my intuition. Um, and so I, I met my, um, my now business partner. Um, at the time I was just looking for a venue. I wanted a venue to do consumption events. I was like, I just, I want to do this. It's not something you can even legally hundred percent do, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. Um, my business partner had already been doing consumption events. And so, um, in her house, and I was like, this is kind of perfect, actually, because I have this background in event planning, feminist um, focused events and gatherings, and my feminism and my web design will help me here. I don't know how again, but I'm going to figure it out. So um, I pitched her on the idea of a meetup, a consumption friendly meetup for women, um, you know, I was like, I'm thinking about calling it Tokativity. What do you think? And she was like, I fucking love it. Let's do this. Let's put, let's book a time on the calendar. So we did, we did January 15th, 2017 was the first day that we launched Tokativity. We had like a sold out workshop vision boarding. Cause I was like, I'm bringing this to life somehow. And that's actually how Tokativity started. That's like the official launch. We just celebrated six years this month. How many people um, came to that first event? Um, there was, we had 35 so it was like, how many people came to your, uh, last, uh, vision board event? Um, the last one we had in person was in January, 2020 before the pandemic. And we had our own 
event space down in Southeast Portland. And we probably had 50, you know, we tried to keep them. We've had everywhere between 50 and 150, but mostly Mm -hmm. it's been in the intimate 50 to 100 over the last couple of years, which is a really sweet spot for connecting. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, you saw, and, and this is, you know, again, another topic that I love talking to marketers about, but it's, you know, how often are you explaining custom, you know, or, or helping a, a client figure out who their customer is, right? Um, with with cannabis, usually it's like everybody who smokes weed is my customer. Um, and you have to I tell mean, them that they're not. But for you, it's yeah. like, I know, who, <laughs> I know who I yeah, I know who I want to, I know who my audience is. It's, it's women. It's, um, you know, it's women in cannabis in this particular area of the world. Yeah. I mean, for this audience, um, I, we didn't even think about it like that. I just thought like, uh, I mean, it's evolved to knowing who our people are, you know what I mean? Cause you want to know who you're talking to and, and you're not talking to everybody, but, um, it was like, women who are already consumers who are looking for a place to safely consume, consume openly and be totally out of the green closet about it and next level their uh, either personal or professional lives, which is how, how we've always sort of like, it's always been the bones of it. It's not just like, oh, here's a networking event, go talk to each other. It's like very conscious, curated, focused. The energy of it is very specific and almost everybody who ever has come to, you know, I'm talking about the in-person days because yeah. things changed in the pandemic, sure. but came out feeling differently. Some women cried like happy tears because they're just like feeling liberated and excited in, in themselves. But the connection that, that we all have when we smoke a joint together, we were able to do that, but also be like next leveling ourselves, like I said, personally and professionally. So it's been a really beautiful thing. Talk a little bit more about that. I'm interested in just like the... Uh, you know, I, I'm not a woman, so I have, I, I can relate this to kind of fraternal, uh, uh, you know, similarities where, you know, a group of guys is like, you know, really rooting for each other, a team, whatever I, I can relate, but I'm curious, uh, for you when you've left events or as you're reflecting on these events that you do, like, are there, are there experiences that you've witnessed or maybe even had on for yourself that you're like, Holy shit. Like, I can't believe that this happened as a result of a net, the networking event that I put on or, or like what kind of relationships or maybe even like businesses or something like, do you think you're responsible for? <laughs> yeah. I think energetically, like, um, I can't say I'm responsible for their Well, business. you know what I mean? Like you've curated these I mean. things, like these events happen, yeah. people meet each other and setting the stage, setting the tone, setting right. the energetic field. Like there's been a lot of relationships that yeah. have been built from this. And I know that there's been a, a lot of businesses because at some point in time, a consumer, when they see that, like they get that creative spark in their eye and they're like, oh my God, I could make yeah. a product or I could like do this thing or whatever. They, they get inspired by each other. So, um, I, I would, I, I couldn't put a number on it, but I would definitely say like over a hundred businesses, deep relationships, a lot, probably a lot more than that, honestly, with the relationship part of it. Well, congratulations. Um, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about networking is like, it's, it's easy to, um, you know, 
think about it in terms of yourself. Like I need to go to this thing. I need to meet this person and that person, and I need to close this deal or whatever. But um, yeah, just that's just a, such a more romantic vision of networking. And like, it just takes me back to my early days of, you know, just pre can of planners where I'm trying to figure out my, my place in the, in this emerging industry and um, you know, all that and, and leaving events similar to that and being like, Oh shit, I got this. And even like trade, you know, trade shows, I always talk about BizCon, you know, like that's where you and I met, but you know, going to my first BizCon was like, um, you know, I talk, I, I, I compare it to that movie trope of like, you know, the girl from Kansas city getting off the bus in times square and being like, Oh my God. Like that was me. You know what I mean? Like I was that, I was that Kansas city girl getting off the bus and like wide eyed and being like, Oh shit, this is real. Like, this is really real. Like I had no idea. I'm up in Burlington, Vermont. I had no clue. Um, but you have these eye opening experiences and you're validated in your, in your ideas and probably you meet some cool people. Like, you know, you got to meet me. I got to meet you. I mean, you just never know who you're going to meet, when you're going to meet them. I mean, this is crazy. Right before I met you, you know, Miss Kindness and I were walking around. I was purposely looking for women-owned businesses because I wanted to talk to them because there's not a lot of them there, as you can, you maybe notice, maybe didn't notice. I don't know, but there's not. <laughs> and um, the women behind the counters aren't as even necessarily the business owners. So right. I was walking by, I found this woman who... Um, I didn't find her. I mean, like she kind of found me. I walked by and she was like, Lisa. And I was like, what? And it was my wife's friend from like 10 years ago who recognized me. And I just would have never known that like we're both in weed. And that's actually kind of happening more and more because it's as it expands to other states, people are expanding their career paths and kind of taking what they know and applying it to cannabis, which is a great. definitely happening now for sure. Like, uh, Yeah. Cannabis companies are for sure poaching, uh, non-cannabis companies, um, for employees. You know, I, I, I met with a guy yesterday who's, who's going to be, um, you know, he's the, he's the marketing director for a humongous alcohol company. Uh, and he's, you know, getting into weed soon. And, uh, that's, that's the nature of it, but you're right. I've, I had that exact experience in Vegas too, by the way, like, you know, packing up and leaving and being like, will, and turning around and being like, what the hell are you doing here? And they're packing up too. And we're like, oh, we were exhibiting over here. I'm like, really? You're in weed? I had no idea. Like, yeah. that, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to this being, being serial in what you do. Um, and I'm curious, kind of, is it important to build businesses that complement each other? Or is it, do you even think about it like that? Um, I've started to be thinking about it more like that. I mean, um, I think because it's just the internet isn't going away, you know, it's been very easy to continue to rely on, um, LI digital and like the work that I'm doing there with, you know, websites and SEO and NFTs and whatever else project management stuff. But, um, those skills and those relationships can very easily, you know, if they're cannabis related, weave into like tokativity world. And there's a lot of relationships that I've built in tokativity, um, a lot of trust that I've built over the years where people are like, hey, I need a website. It has nothing to do with weed, but like, can you help me out? You know, sure. um, or maybe it does have something to do with weed. You know, I, I'm doing either one of those things, but 
I think, I mean, you're going to help yourself out long-term if your things work together or they can support one another, you know what I mean? Um, And I think for a very long time, I've like really tried to keep them before before the pandemic, keep them separate, you know, because I just like separate buckets and like just not thinking about crossover, you know what I mean? But, um, and I think boundaries are really, really important, you know, because then it just becomes one big blob, but Mm -hmm. um. But, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think it's really helpful to, you know, to have things that work together. Since you're not people and you're not Gary V, you're not my drunk friend, uh, at my house talking at me about what an NFT is. Uh, I was wondering if you can explain it to me so I don't feel like a total dummy because I usually just find myself being like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. NFT. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like just being like shut up shut up please you know like crypto nft people like that's all they talk about so can you explain it to me so i don't feel like a total idiot absolutely and um it's okay if i do feel like an idiot after i won't blame you i am an idiot so that's part of the problem you're not you're not (laughs) um so i think the word nft has been really blown up almost out of proportion and i think that's why you think in your head, shut up, shut up, because you're like, <laughs> enough already. But like, that's where I feel like there's like a this divide and an unnecessary, unnecessary one because I think there's like having something be overkill. It's almost like I don't care anymore. Like I don't yeah. even want. You know what I mean? So I want people to feel like you don't have to know everything, but to to not know it and to ignore it isn't the answer either because it is here to stay. So the more we ignore it, the more, um, you know, like out of the loop we become about a specific technology that is not going anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, it has died down a lot. And I think Definitely. it's going to have, it's like, you know, kind of it's ebb and flow like anything else. But what is it is the question. It, In my opinion, it is a digital tool. It's like a digital file and sometimes it's very specific. Like there's only one of them and sometimes there's many of them. So for example, and I've heard people use this as an example, there's only one Mona Lisa in the entire world that was ever made. And that Mona Lisa is in the Louvre in France and in Paris. And that's where it lives. And you know, it is officially the Mona Lisa because we're trusting (laughs) the museum to know what the hell they're talking about. Right. And we know that it's there. If I took a picture of the Mona Lisa, I can say I have the Mona Lisa, but is it the Mona Lisa? No, it's not. It's a replica of it. And so with the blockchain, I remember thinking when people were throwing this word around again, I was like, la 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 la. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about the blockchain. But then again, I was like, I'm hearing it so much this is actually not helping me to not learn about it. So the blockchain for those who don't know is basically like an, um, uh, a, a, I want to say like a thing on the internet because it kind of is, um, it's a roster of transactions that you can see. So it's about transparency. So like when people send things like they send digital currency out there into the world, they buy things. It it lives somewhere. Where it lives, there's a lot of places that you can find it based on what tools you're using and whatnot. But you know, when we do bank account transactions, you can't see those transactions. They're private. 
You know, if I sent you money, you know, you can, it's private. Venmo is a little bit more public, you know, so there's like more, you know, I don't, I don't think Venmo is a, it's not necessarily a blockchain, but kind of similar idea when someone has a public Venmo, it's like very similar to blockchain. So back to NFTs, it can be a specific asset, like a picture of something, a piece of art, um, they're turning into more things. Like you mentioned Gary V and I know that he has artwork that also gives you access to Vcon, which is like an event, you know, so they can become, they can be, and they're becoming membership, digital membership tools. Not every single NFT has, has anything attached to it, but the, but a lot of people are like, this isn't really valuable unless somebody super famous made it and it got sold for 69 million like people. <laughs> Um, and he wasn't famous before he just, you know, that whole transaction made him famous, but, um, you know, the company thrice that I've been working with, I was their, um, NFT artist, their, their lead NFT artist. And, um, I made all these pieces of art that they then put together and they're now out there on a platform called OpenSea. If you Google thrice.io, um, or look on, OpenSea, which is like a, like kind of like the eBay for NFTs, um, you'll see that. And so they're doing a membership platform. So when you buy an NFT, you're going to be able to get access to discounts on CBD products or whatever they decide is going to be their perks. Um, you know, that's still in the works. So every company and every person that ever makes something like this, um, there's all kinds of different reasons why people do it. Some people do it for fun. A lot of people were doing it and still do it for, for money-making purposes. And some people are building their businesses off of it. Some people use it as marketing tools. It's like, really, it's the beginning of the internet where we're all like, WWW, right. you know? What is this it's thing? Like, exactly. And we're all kind of still there. And there's definitely some more people who are like, this is my daily life. Web three is my life. I'm going to live yeah. this, you know, and I'm still learning as I go. I just was like, if, I was reading that 12-year-olds were making millions of dollars with NFTs. And I was like, okay, yeah. I got to learn more about this because like, I'm, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but hey, again, with the experimenting, I'm just going to like put it out there and see what happens. Um, and I will say with like NFT projects specifically, when you have more than one and you're trying to market it, it does take a lot of energy dollars to market these things, to get yeah. them to the hands of people who to be valuable. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it was that helpful a little bit. Yes, definitely. I'm, I, okay. And and you kind of touched upon it, but I'm curious your input on how this can be, uh, how NFTs are, why or how NFTs are important to the uh, cannabis space. Um, I think those who want to tap in to the tech, like anybody who's tech savvy and like millennials and gen Z is that what they're calling them after the millennials and everybody mm -hmm. after that, they have grown up, not just with computers, but with phones in their hands, expecting things to be just lickety split happening. So you have, yeah. So you have to know that like there are different subsets of people, right? There's the people that grew up in the dairy age and like, you know, the, um, not having weed legal there there's a whole generation of people who are growing up with weed as totally legal who never knew it before it wasn't legal yep and they are also super tech savvy and so i feel like the, like i said there's some people who are like oh i'm doing this thing whatever 
it's this next generation of people who are going to expect NFTs or something like it. They're going to expect technology to be the thing that helps them get their needs met because they're already using it. So how do I think cannabis and NFTs can work? I think like right now things are, I would say a little slow. They were, they sped up in 2021 and 2022. Things are a little bit on the slower side. I think we're going to see things pick up. Um, There's companies doing really cool stuff. Um, Oh my gosh. I'm like, uh, I'm not remembering the name of the company, but there's a really cool company I'm in touch with right now who's doing their lab reports for cannabis Mm -hmm. on the blockchain so that they're public information. They're not a piece of paper sitting on someone's desk. There's Mm -hmm. something you can click on a link and see the lab report publicly. And I think that is really, really incredibly cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I think also I got asked recently to participate and still trying to figure out the details of this, but to like have to host an event in the metaverse and um, in um, Decentraland. And it is the only cannabis um, building in Decentraland. Um, I'm trying, oh my gosh, what is the name of it? It is Automatic Slims. And um, it's so cool because it's a four-story building. You can actually go there on the internet. You don't need like a headset or anything like that. But there's a way. The, that, if you if you give me the link, we'll include it in the description. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if I don't send it to you right afterwards, please. I'll get me. it, Lisa. I'll <laughs> get that link. <laughs> but what's really cool is that like this company is connected to the same company because I think they're owned by the same people. Um, that is doing the lab results on the blockchain. And so you can, they're hosting events there. They're hosting cannabis events there. Now, mm-hmm. are you smoking weed while you're there? No, you're in like the computer. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they have a space there where you can see um, how edibles get processed. They have a grow room there where you can see like digital weed being grown. They also have like a music venue. So people, who are not necessarily in cannabis are attending these events. There's over a million users on Decentraland. This is a whole new subset of people who I think, I don't think the cannabis industry is really tapping into at all, except for these folks who are in the metaverse right now, because they are buying NFTs. They are buying NFTs. um, And this company specializes in bringing physical products to people. So they've been working with CBD companies who are also, um, you buy an NFT, you get a CBD sample in the mail. Like they're able mm. to connect the real world and um, the metaverse world or the digital world together. And I think that's really, really cool. And I look forward to working with them on hosting an event there. That's awesome. That's cool. It seems like the next evolution of events for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but in person still, the metaverse is next. Yeah. It, it is next. And in person is still, you know, you can never replace in person. It's just, no, you know, I just want to say. Yeah, for sure. It's just a cool new way to network though. A, a new, a, a whole new experience. It is. It, it is. It is great because you can connect with people all over the world from different backgrounds that you might right. not, that can't fly to Portland or LA or Vermont to go to a network event. They just mm-hmm. want to be in their house and do their thing. We're living in the future, Lisa Snyder. We're here. Speaking of the future, did you see the Terminator movies? Um, unfortunately, I did not. There's a handful okay. of things that 
my let me just- let me explain it to you because okay. I kind of feel like you're tempting fate a little bit. Oh so yeah. Okay. Your other company, one other company we haven't talked about is Ask Johnny, which is an AI driven uh bud tender app. So the Terminator movies, Lisa Snyder, who is ushering in the end of our world, <laughs> is when robots from the future gain sentience and come back to destroy us all. And I'm thinking maybe this is how it begins with a AI driven bud tender app. What do you think? Well, AI is like the hottest thing right now. It's happening as of this recording, you know, like it Got GPT people be talking about it. I know. Well, it's normalized. It got normalized so quickly, which is exciting. Yeah. You know, imagine, I mean, how much work we have to do with cannabis yeah, you know, because it's been illegal and all this, all this work and effort has been anti for so long. There hasn't mm-hmm. been as much work about anti AI, so people are seeing the benefits of it. And I just want to clarify: it's text Johnny. Text Johnny. Apple. Sorry. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> text Johnny. Yeah, text Johnny. Um, and the official company name that um, owns text Johnny is uh, Johnny May Technologies, and so it's actually a black woman owned. Um, uh, cannabis tech company based in California. Um, uh, This amazing woman, um, Raven, is the CEO. I met her through the initiative, which is um, a cannabis accelerator program for women founders in cannabis. And I've been helping her um, as a consultant for the last two years to get the app version of Text Johnny up and running, which is on Apple and Google Play Store. We will for Um, sure link that in the description below. Yes. Um, so that's just a little backstory, but like, is I think that, you know, is it a little scary that AI can take over the job of a writer, you know, or other kind of production work? Um, I think for some people it is, and they need to kind of wake up to that because you can either use the tool or again, ignore it, pretend Mm. it doesn't exist and then watch you know, your profession kind of fade away. You have to adopt with technology. You have to, I mean, you don't have to live your life, but if you want to stay relevant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You You have to pivot. You have to always be pivoting and always be evolving. Exactly. So what's happening now with the the, uh, rise of cannabis and like the legalization in all these different states is like a lot of products are coming on the market and it's very exciting, but it's immediately confusing and overwhelming for consumers. Of course. So how do we help ourselves figure out what kind of products are best for us? Well, normally we just walk into a dispensary and ask a bud tender who maybe they're educated about all the products and everything that does. And maybe, maybe that's true, but a lot of times it's not. And there's like, that's an issue here in the industry, you know, and there's no standard, you know, for like, you got to go to the school or learn these things. So you're trusting the person on the other side of the counter. A lot of times those people are getting pressured by their own dispensary owners or brands to push things. So they might be pushing something or not listening to somebody and just trying to sell the highest um, price thing because they want to, you know, make money for the dispensary. Like there's just all these different things that are kind of like rolling around for people's experiences. So how do we help ourselves back to consumers as consumers to figure out what is going to be best for me today? Because I'm in a great mood and I want to party with my friends and I'm like, want an uplifting experience, or maybe I'm going to go down 
internally and do some writing work and maybe I don't need something that's like as buzzy. How are we going to know that? You know what I mean? That's the biggest issue. We can't just, I mean, you can do this and be experimenting forever, but just go buy whatever's cheap and then what, you know, it's just a different experience. So um, text Johnny is, you know, this amazing AI bud tender experience that we are, um, you know, have developed and are continuing to develop further that can help you tap into that current mood and what strain or product might be working the best. It also pairs you with music, which is really fun. Listen to this and you should smoke this or listen to this. And also you should consume this. And, um, you know, right now there's like a definite focus in California and we just partnered um, with uh, a delivery partner. So now it's not just about recommendations. It's about actually getting that weed delivered directly to your door. Cool. So are you integrating it into another, other apps? Like, or is it just? Yeah, well, I mean, creating some partnerships because we can't yeah. be in all places across the entire state. Yeah, so partnerships where they have, um, you know, their locations with all of the cannabis that's like there physically. and then they can get matched up with what kind of weed they want and um, and order it directly through the service. That is coming very, very soon, the ordering process. I love it. Moving yeah. and shaking, Lisa Snyder. Uh, one last question before we go. I know they're all your children. You mentioned that. Is there one project that you've got going on, one business that you've got going on that just is extra exciting for you right now? Well, yes. Um, I haven't really like done too much mentioning of it because I've just, it's still in the works, but I'm actually working on a book right now. And that's the most exciting thing to me. I can't say too much about it other than to follow me, uh, to stay in touch with it, but it is related to all these things that we talked about. It really does connect like the spirituality, the cannabis, the entrepreneurial life um, and also being a woman. And, um, I'm really, really excited about that. It's been juicing me up like every day. And, uh, speaking of vision boards, I just finished mine. Um, I left it for, uh, not last, but like there's this last piece I wanted, which was like the cover of the book, which I physically made printed out and then put it on the vision board. So I'm just like this year I'm making this happen. And, um, it is really giving me the most life. Congratulations. We can't wait to read it. Thank you. I'm so excited. We'll, we'll keep everybody listening up to date on all that as it, as it keeps coming out, but for sure we will. Why don't you tell everybody where they can learn more about you so that they can follow you, uh, follow your various companies, learn about this book you're writing. Where can they find you? Mm, you can find me on Instagram, Lisa Libra. I, have, I opened up my account, so it's public now. It was private for a while. Um, Tokativity on all the platforms, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, on the web. And then LI Digital on all the platforms as well. Those will all be linked below in the description. Lisa Snyder, you've been an incredible guest. I really, your story is amazing. It's incredibly touching. Uh, and it's, you know, w- without being too mushy, very inspiring. It's It's awesome to hear uh, motivations, you know, the, the, the roots of motivations that come from other things and other, other than being financially driven or whatever, whatever, sometimes life happens to us. And sometimes if we're paying attention, life can have an amazing impact on us. So I appreciate you sharing that story with us. It's 
It's awesome. This has been another episode of Common Sense of Mia. I've been your host, Will Reed. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Hit the like, hit subscribe, do all the things, share, call your mom, do all the stuff, tell her you love her, call your dad, tell, tell him you love him. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.